Welcome to the Unsuccess Podcast, a podcast where we talk about ministry and vocation here in Portland, Oregon. I'm David Libby. And I'm Josh Hawk. And today we've got a very special guest, one of my uh, best friends here in North Portland, who is actually no longer in North Portland. And one of my favorite people. Right? Right? So great. Uh, lady kind of a running joke because everybody's my favorite. But Right. <laughs> We're... But Christy's, um, she's an original favorite. Can yeah. Can say that? Yeah, okay. yeah, we haven't that. we haven't actually introed her yet. Uh, Christy, <laughs> Christy Deeren, welcome to the podcast. Hi guys, glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, um, so Christy, tell us what. Uh, well, tell us uh, your tell us your story is. your story who into you? ministry before we get into stuff. Yeah, what what led you to doing the kinds of things that you do now? Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, what is it that I do right now that you're identifying? Because um, you know, it's just life. Yeah, we should probably identify like what she does. So it's fair. Yeah, so Chrissy pastors a church in West Portland currently, a United Methodist Church, and um, she's pastored in North Portland. Um, probably that was probably a long time ago. I've been out of North Portland physically for three years, but oh my gosh, my heart and my mind have not left. Um, I currently serve West Portland United Methodist Church in Southwest Portland, and in the United Methodist Church, we get um, appointed to different churches, and I was in North Portland for two and a half years and got a calling to go down to um, uh, Southwest Portland, and I actually live in Beaverton, which is um, still too far away from here. Yeah, yeah, that's that's sad. Um uh, so According you, to David, though, Beaverton is still Portland. Beaverton is Portland. Everything is Portland. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for the inclusion. I it's appreciate that. It's true. It's um, true. Yeah, we're, we're sad you're gone, um, but you're, you're, doing some, you're doing some awesome stuff over there, and we'll get into that. Um, tell us how you um, – tell us about your call to ministry or, or how you felt led to, um, to doing this work. Okay, well, so I grew up United Methodist in one of those families where you went to church on Sunday morning, whether you wanted to or not, and it was all about going to church and doing church, and I didn't really understand much about um, a personal relationship with Christ. I didn't really understand much about fellowship beyond potlucks and um, showing up and shaking hands and being nice to everybody, and got sent to summer camp where I went kicking and screaming. And I think my parents slowed down, opened the door, and I rolled out. And I did not want to go. And this was between fourth and fifth grade. And it was Camp High Roads in Middleburg, Virginia. And God got a hold of me there. And I didn't know that's what was going on. But I can tell you that on July 4th, 1979, before either of you were born, I was um, standing. It was that last night of camp. We're standing in a circle. And they had the metal sparklers, you know, the really good kind that last more than five seconds. Nice. And they started singing Pass It On as they were lighting this, the sparklers. And I started bawling. I had no clue what was going on. And then it was several years later I realized that's when my understanding, knowledge of God became significant. Like that light bulb went on through a sparkler. I call it my sparkler moment. But I took a long time for me to know what exactly was going on. My parents picked me up from camp, and instead of going, hi, how are you? I said, can I come back? So God got a hold of me at summer camp, but it was um, not one of those altar call moments that you might hear that some people have. And, um, but it was, it was just kind of that um, as life was going on, God shows up, and God's always present. 
And I got involved in youth group. I got involved in um, uh, going to camp and all that stuff. And um, then my dad died two weeks before my 14th birthday. And the people who came around were my camp counselors. He died on December 9th. My birthday's Christmas Eve. And all my camp counselors were home for the Christmas break. And they took turns coming over and saying, hey, let's go ice skating. Let's go bowling. Let's go to a movie. Let's go get pizza. And that year was, I call it my tsunami year, my eighth grade year, because um, I had um, my dad died, my grandpa died, a classmate, five people in the community, had a knee injury, my appendix out, and I moved from Virginia to Arizona in nine months. What? Yeah. And <laughs> if you look at the life stress scale, like if they say over 300, you need professional counseling. I'm like a 750 in that one time period. Oh, man. But I'll tell you guys, the night before we moved from uh, Fairfax, Virginia to Scottsdale, Arizona, I was at our midweek um, quiet hour. And the guy who facilitated it, Pal Williams, um, who has been very significant on my spiritual journey, um, was was hosting it, and I said, you know, I'm moving tomorrow, and I just want to say thank you guys for supporting me and being present for me um, through all this year. It's been really, really tough. And Pal goes, Christy, I don't know why all this stuff happened to you in one year, but everything that happened, um, it's like you bloomed after everything. And God, like, put this bubble around you to get you through it. And where you go next, you'll be able to share that and go on. And, you know, when you're 14 years old and you're sitting next to the cutest guy you've ever met and you're like, I don't want to move because he finally said hi to me and all this other stuff going on, um, you don't know it. But then you go, oh, something goes on. You're like, I remember that Powell saying that. And, um, yeah, that was, excuse me, but that was a real shitty year. Yeah, yeah. And it was right. really tough, and I call it my tsunami season. We moved to Arizona. My mom thrusts me into youth group at Scottsdale United Methodist, and um, fortunately, I'm still friends with some of those people, but there were years we weren't. And so I was doing church. Mm -hmm. I was doing church, but I got involved in Young Life and trained to go work on summer staff at Young Life, and um, they were starting up wildlife, which was young life for middle schoolers. So I was training and doing that. I didn't realize that God was saying, you're going to be in ministry, your life. This is what's going to happen. And you're going to help adolescents through this crazy, chaotic season. And um, because you have made it through, they'll be able to see they can get through their own crap. So little did I know while rest of life was going on, I've been doing youth ministry this whole time. And I didn't see it as what I would be doing. I saw it as something I would do while I was doing um, corporate communications management. I really thought I was going to be, um, you know, working in the corporate world. God said no. And I ended up um, moving to Oregon for a part-time youth director job at Newburgh United Methodist. And I remember before that happened, it was, I think, like June 23rd. It was like the hottest day in Phoenix on record. And I'm sitting at a stoplight, not wanting to stop too long because you don't want your tires to melt into the asphalt. Is that a real thing? When it gets too hot and it melts? Yeah. Um, depends on who you talk to and how fresh the asphalt oh. is. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, the airport, I was working for the airlines, and the airport had closed because it was too hot to fly, and the planes couldn't. Anyway, crazy day. 
God came over the radio and said, you're not going to be in corporate America. You're going to be in paid youth ministry someday. And I'm like, who said that? What's going on? It must be too hot. And within, um, within a month, I had this job up in Oregon. So I moved with um, my boyfriend at the time up there and we got engaged and we got married and we moved to Oregon and he became um, a county sheriff. I became a paid youth worker. And that's how I thought life was going to be. The only thing, well, I still live in Oregon. Um, we're no longer married. He's no longer a cop, but I'm in ministry. Mm. I did 26 years of youth ministry. And um, every time I tried to lead the denomination, God said, no, I need you mm. there. <laughs> I said, but there's not enough Jesus. And God said, I know, that's why I need you there. And then um, <laughs> six and a half years ago, I got a call to be the senior pastor, which was really crazy because I didn't want to do that. And um, God said, you get to play with the bigger kids now. So that's been quite a, um, quite a journey. And when you work with adolescents and life is really crazy, um, it prepares you for working with older kids that are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, some centurions. Right. So tell us about that then. Um, what are what are some of the um, some of the struggles, some of the needs that you tackle with adolescents, and um, what kind of overlap is there with is I'll just say older folks, the older kids. <laughs> yeah, we call yeah. them the older teenagers. Sure. Yeah. Well, the so you know, adolescents, you're coming from childhood. And this is the the rickety bridge into adulthood, and you're letting go of um, you know as much of the parental assistance, and you really want to do a lot of it on your own. Yet you don't want to. Um, what's the term these days? Adult. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be adulting. Yeah, yet I know. you want to have that freedom response and freedom without the responsibilities. And then there's the clashes of well, you're old enough now, so on and so forth. And then on the other end of that bridge with the older teenagers, they've come from being the adults and doing everything and being in charge. And then their life is taking them to where they physically, maybe mentally cannot do everything that they used to do. So other people are having to help them go back to being more dependent and reliant on others. And they go kicking and screaming and I, I totally get it, and I probably will too. Um, and so it's it's helping people through the tra- major transitions in life mm-hmm. is what I truly feel that I'm called to do. And this is the container. It's within within the church as the pastor. Right, right. Um, so tell us then what led you. You started... Um, you started a church plant a few years ago, and mm-hmm. I know I'm jumping way ahead, and that's fine. You know, Josh can take us back if we, if we need. What what <laughs> led you to um, feel called to do that? Because you were doing some really interesting things with that church plant. So that came as a result of um, the youth program I began between three different Methodist churches that kind of became, it was in a way it was planting a new faith community mm. where you, the kids went to their local church in the morning, but we had youth group in the evening combined. It was one youth group supported by three churches. And so it really was planting a new faith community. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, I was at, um, had the honor of being at the helm of that for nine years. And then um, certain things happened because humans were involved with leadership. Let's just leave it at that. And the <laughs> position went away. Um, but I'm happy to say that the some form of that ministry went for another six years. Um, and I found myself going back to school. I got my degree in organizational communication from Merrill Hurst with emphasis on mediation and conflict resolution, change and transition management, and training and developing. And then I had been leading workshops with our denomination about change and transition. Mm. And our judicatory got a hold of me and said, we'd like you to take a quarter-time assignment, because I was just a layperson with a lot of experience, yeah. at this one church for one year, and um, we, we want you to leave it, lead it into its legacy season. And it's either close, merge, um, or through some miracle, you know, like I use the term spiritual Viagra, but um, nice. you have one year to do it. And I had been having conversations with one of my mentors and former bosses, Beth Estock, about church planting. And God goes, I don't want you to help coach other planters. I need you to plant. You've got all those youth that have graduated that are moving in and around the Portland area who don't have a church home, but they like the community. They like a safe place to talk about the tough stuff, and they like to volunteer and serve. So you would think that that would be great. Go here and plant something new. No, it was go here and help that church figure out where it's supposed to go. Great faithful saints. And then other things were being put in place. So I was at Metzger United Methodist for a year. My first Sunday, we had 33 people. And by the end of the first week, two had died. And I ended up doing 12 funerals. (laughs) It wasn't me. It didn't do it. Um, But... We did. We we led them into what their future was, and that was to merge with the church that they had planted over a hundred years ago. But this is where God was also tilling the soil. And partway through that assignment, my um, district superintendent um, encouraged me to go for licensed local pastor, which gives me more clergy credentials, and to talk about church planting and moving to North Portland. So this is where the intersection came. So. I went ahead and helped facilitate the merge between Metzger and Tigard and helped Metzger live into its dream of becoming a faith-based community center and it's flourishing and doing amazing things and helping people be present, thank God for what they have and then get out of their own way and let the spirit move and other things happen. And I was sent up here to Pioneer United Methodist Church to help them do the same thing, live into their legacy, which included planting something new out of that faith community. And um, that's what had me here for two and a half years. And it was on the ground, um, meeting people in and around the community of St. John's, North Portland area, the peninsula, but also calling people that have been former youth and their friends. Let's get together. Let's have conversations. Let's meet on my porch. Let's meet in a restaurant, coffee shop, and... um, or in a bar, and we came up with the name Crossbridge At, and my plant team were four former youth who had all been born the year I graduated high school. So it was so wow. cool. It was very cool. And um, we Crossbridge At because across, both of them are verbs and nouns, 
and um, you you know crossing a bridge, and we use the cross to help bridge the chasm between us and our relationship with God. Oh, nice. And our our uh, mission was to live simply, love unconditionally, and serve others. So live, love, serve. So Crossbridge at is or it is pretty chaotic, and it was organic, and it was different, and it wasn't anything that could really easily be recognized by good old fashioned traditional church people. And even though that was part of their legacy, the ownership of that, um, there was some discord, and and um, we thought everything was moving along together, yeah, and it wasn't, and. Um, the the um, Pioneer United Methodist Church decided that's not the route they wanted to take. So Crossbridge at and Pioneer separated, and we both went on our own ways. And I continued with Crossbridge at for another uh, two and a half years. And um, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was to say it's run its course. Um because the, the church said, we need you to go serve a church in Southwest Portland. And if you want to do Crossbridge at, that's on your own. Wow. So I know some of your other guests have talked about frustrations with um, organized religion and the judicatory and the structure. And I ran up against some of that right. in that process. Right. Yeah. Um, and we can, we can get into that, uh, like you said, I mean, we've had a lot of pastors on and they, they all have that. Um, what I'd really like to hear from you, you said that uh, with Crossbridge especially, you wanted a, a space where people can bring the real stuff of life, where they, mm-hmm. can, they can talk about hard things together. That, I think, is always a desire for people in the church and yet yeah. church people tend to really suck at that. Like, like they don't, yeah. they don't do it well. Um, and it's not necessarily because I don't, I don't think it's necessarily because we don't know how to work through conflict. I think, I think some church people do. I think it may have something to do with, uh, church people are taught to be good church people, maybe. Um, but, how did you find a way to get people to be able to have some of these honest conversations? Because I came to one of your dinner churches and I remember uh, being surprised at um, where some of the conversation went and (laughs) how boldly it went there. And that wasn't from you. That was just, it was authentic. People would say things and not be afraid to do it. Like Um, when we talk about sex, drugs, rock and roll, affordable housing, homelessness, underemployment, um, all those things. Right. Freely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, um, I think I came in early 2017 and well, you can imagine, (laughs) you know, the, the political situation was rough and, um, uh, some of the people just got right into it and without fear of being attacked, and others engaged it without seeming to mm-hmm. attack. Mm-hmm. How did you make that happen? And why do you think that's not so possible at other church or why that doesn't happen at other churches? When we set out um, with Crossbridge at, and the at part is real important to know because it was 
church was at wherever we wherever were. We, were yeah. we didn't have a church building like we launched out of Pioneer Building, but we were like Crossbridge at um, Brecken's or Crossbridge at um, Southwest Portland or Crossbridge at Stein's Distillery, wherever we were, Crossbridge at, that was our container at the time. And Dubs here in North Portland um, hosted us for dinner church a lot as well as Brecken's. And so at that dinner church at Dubs that night, um, was a prime example of how there were enough core people who created a safe space mm-hmm. for whoever showed up at the table. And this is when Dubs was sharing the space with the Ranger Bar. And um, I would go in early, you know, you know, ahead of time, and I'd talk to the owners and say, can we come in and have church here? And they're like, what? And I explain what it's like. And like, well, yeah, I had no restaurant or bar owner tell me no which was very cool. We had the central hotel and all this stuff. Yeah. And I said, it's, it's either real talk in real time, which is no topic is taboo. This is a safe place to talk and bring your opinion to the table and um, know that everyone has that same invitation, which is one thing you experienced. And then dinner church, we would have scripture. We didn't sing and, and all that, but we had scripture, we had prayer, we had conversation, we would have um, interactive sermon, which is one thing that you experienced as well. And we always did a service project. And so we created that environment because that's what I kept hearing people wanted. And when you came to the table, you knew that you could share your voice and your opinion and know that it would be safe to say it, even if it was something that someone else might consider controversial. Now, how come we don't do that in our regular churches on a regular basis? That might be a whole nother podcast, but there is something about the um, silos of our physical church buildings and the expectations of when I walk in, it's going to be safe, and I'm not Mm. necessarily going to do or say anything that might cause disruption for that safety. Um, Uh. They're so used to coming together, and there's expectations. When you talked about good good churchgoers... Now, does that mean they're good in their behavior or good because they go regularly? Good in their behavior. I mean, like, where... Mind their P's and Q's yeah, and, yeah, and don't rock you know? the boat? And I'm not saying, like, dress nice, button-up type of thing. I just mean you're, you're taught to sit still and be good in a lot of churches, yes? Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. mean, that's pretty common. Yeah, I'm uh, so I recently kind of reading through and studying Mark chapter 10. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of interesting things. That's a that is a jam packed full chapter. Um, but in there, towards the beginning, Jesus is um, oh, the, the children come up and the disciples mm-hmm. try to shush the children, push them away. And Jesus says, No, let them come here. And then in the middle of that, um, so Jesus embraces the kids, the chaos, the people that everybody else is trying to silence. Um, and then, it, but so in the middle of the chapter, there's the, it's the story of the rich young man you mm-hmm. know, who comes in and now here's somebody who's got it all together. And the disciples know that and they recognize that they're like, oh, this is the, the culturally elite. Um, you know, here's a man who he should be patted on the back, you know, and what happens out of that? You know, like Jesus says, go sell everything you've got, give it to the poor and come Mm -hmm. follow me. 
And he went away sad. And then Jesus says, like, that man can't, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of the needle than for mm-hmm. that man to, um, to get into the kingdom of God. And then he, Jesus circles back around then with uh, blind Bartimaeus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here's a blind beggar who's crying out, who's making a, making a scene. And they, you know, the disciples and the followers were trying to silence him again. And that just made him scream all the more. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, of course, you know, in, in in Jesus' fashion, you know, takes him and says, "No, bring him, bring him here. I I want to hear him out, you mm-hmm. know, and and ask him." I, there was something that struck me with Bartimaeus is first off, he was named, so that gave him you know some dignity. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus didn't just assume what he want. I mean, you would assume like, "Oh, you want me to heal you, right?" No, but in that in that encounter, Jesus says, what, what would you like? What do you want? And speaking worth and value to to this man that society is trying to kind of shun. And so in that, I think often we fall into that trap of being that rich person. Like we've got it all together. Our life looks together. But unfortunately, I think there's something in us. Um, I don't know. I, I think most of us actually want to to talk about real stuff that, that really matters. Um, but we can't because we have too much baggage and it says the rich man went away sad. It's not like he's like, yay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I still have all my life together. Um, and so I want like, and that's it, Christy, like you're able, maybe it, I, well, I'm probably, I'm certain that it has something to do, you know, with a lot of your own personal experiences, you know, and your life experience going back to that tsunami year. Um, but there, there's a lot of themes that have kind of picked up um, already, just listening to your story, um, the transition, you know, walking with people through change. And in those seasons where everybody else is like, no, you don't fit into anywhere. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to do with you. I've been told that my whole life. I, <laughs> you're great. We let, we're glad you're here. We don't know what to do with you. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're talking about the book of Mark. Um, you're in the neighborhood of my, um, the biblical character I identify with the most. Mm. And it's the unnamed woman who walks in to the house where Jesus is with all the guys hanging out. Mm-hmm. And she's got the alabaster jar of yeah. pure nard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she walks in, and by just walking in without like a plate of food or going to clear anybody's table or anything like that, she walks in with purpose and intent, and she is immediately ridiculed. She's yeah. immediately criticized. They are indignant towards her. She goes, she breaks open this jar, and so... The guys are freaking out by what they see. Now what they smell, they've heard this jar break. And That's not how you're supposed to do it. No, 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 no. And she walks straight to Jesus. Jesus knows what's happening. And there's no, as far as we know, there's not a verbal dialogue between the two of them. And, you know, as as we have learned that, you know, like more than um, 90% of communication is nonverbal. So she and Jesus had this conversation without saying a single word, and she anointed Jesus, which is not something we do in our culture um, the way it was practiced then. And the guys are pissed off. Oh, my gosh. They could have sold that for all this money to serve the poor. And and what is she doing? She's not supposed to be here. She's a woman. And she just went and did what she was supposed to do. 
And Jesus is like, excuse me, gentlemen. Um, no, this is what she's supposed to do. You will always have the poor and you'll always have opportunity to help them. She is doing a beautiful thing. This is what she's supposed to be doing right now. And we will remember her throughout history because of this. And when I came to the realization that there was someone in the Bible that I, I can identify with, I'm like, ta-da! I mean, light bulb went off. It was almost another sparkler moment. It was at a youth specialties convention in a, a meditative experience, but um, I was still like, what? This is so cool. This is me. My whole life. I mean, um, I grew up in this great family, but I'm not supposed to be here. My parents were done having kids. And all of a sudden, hello, there's 10 years between me and my um, next sibling. So 10, 12, and 16 years older are my siblings. So so literally <laughs> for your whole life, people have yeah, like, not been sure what to do with it. Exactly. <laughs> so my mom says I was raised by committee. And because it was like I, I entered life already in motion, in progress yeah, for yeah. this family. And I am used to walking into situations and people wondering why am I there. Mm-hmm. And it's not always the best feeling in the world, but God and I have had a ton of conversations about this. Is that's one thing that you're designed to do is to walk into a mm. situation and not intentionally cause disruption, but understand that, that that might cause it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then to be present with it. So walking into Central Hotel, which at one time used to be the roughest bar in North Portland mm. when it was Dad's. Dad's. Um, and doing church in the back room or real talk in the bar area, to me, that is not being the, the woman from Mark, um, on purpose. It's following what God is calling me to do with a purpose and inviting whoever is there to come join us. And you know what? There were people, I we probably invited three times as many people, um, that actually showed up, right? Like we'd invite eight, nine people and maybe one or two would come over or I'd say, Hey, we're going to be doing this. You're welcome to join us. Um, no pressure. Um, and if you don't want to join us, how can we pray for you? What? Cool. You know, and then we'd also get like, you know what? My brother was just diagnosed with cancer Mm -hmm. or I've had a really crappy day. Thanks for noticing me. And to me, that's what Jesus did. Yeah, And so while Crossbridge Out was thriving with meeting people where they were, doing this Jesus thing, um, there was also the disruption of um, those who thought church had to be done in a box, yeah, physically and mentally and spiritually. And this is where we did a lot of the struggle with orthodoxy versus orthopraxy. Yeah. And you, you know, the, the passages you were referring to from Mark is people are trying to keep everything in this container and keep everything. That's how it's written down on paper. And, you know, we're in a day and age where we have um, six generations existing on this planet and there has been more change and growth and um, impact on our planet in the last hundred years than probably any other hundred years with the inventions of automobiles and electricity and availability of indoor plumbing to everybody, the industrial revolution and how, and then of course you take it with um, getting through the world wars and then the two um, wars that followed that led us into the seventies where wait, anything's possible. Look at all these resources we have. We're becoming globally connected. And then this thing called the computer right? This physical thing that we now carry in our back pockets 
um, that used to take up huge rooms. Yeah. Um, our entire planet has been shifted and changed so much to the point where the velocity is faster than what we humans can really understand. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people left in the wake and we're more scattered, even though we're more globally connected. And that's one of the reasons I think God has me continue to be in ministry, um, straddling the line between the traditional so that we can honor those awesome people who survived the depression, who lived through the war, who are, they are really what Tom Brokaw called them the greatest generation. We have a lot Mm -hmm. to thank, a lot to thank them for. Yet we have also seen how life is continuing. So it's bridging that gap. Yeah. You um, in in the, the going back to Mark those examples. Mm-hmm. I think Jesus kept trying to say this is the kingdom of God. Yeah, and like you like you 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 guys don't get it, but like this is it. <laughs> this is actually the kingdom, you know. And um, and we try to say no, like that it's following the rules. It's you know we we've worked for hundreds of years, you know, to create what we've got now, you know, mm-hmm. in in the church. Um. So in oh, Christy, going in in all that, like here you you've almost now like you've almost kind of come back full circle. So you're in more of a traditional church mm-hmm. setting, um, and ironically enough, with the same organization, you yes. know, the same denomination that you've tried and and maybe should have left, you know, a number <laughs> of different times, right? But. And your complaint, I love that complaint, what, you know, what Jesus is saying, saying, there's no Jesus here. Not enough. There's, there's not, not enough, enough Jesus, I know. And, That's why I want you there. Yeah. And and so now here you, you're you still there. You're still mm-hmm. at it. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you bringing Jesus, you know, into, into everyday life today? <laughs> well, um, I will tell you this. Um, I was sent to, so I am intentionally sent to churches to help them live into their legacy. Yeah. So I've closed churches. I've birthed new churches. I've um, helped a church who thought they were headed towards one way um, and w- went differently. Um, and where I'm at now, I was sent there with the intention to help them figure out, okay, we have got one of two directions. We're either going to move towards closure and have the biggest party this church has ever had and gracefully end and celebrate our heritage, or... Um, we're going to strive to thrive. And um, <laughs> I wasn't sure for a while which way that church was going to go. Yeah, yeah. And they're thriving, you guys. They just voted this past week to put me full-time January 1st because they have um, decided not only do they not want to close, they want to live. Mm-hmm. And my relentless showing up as Jesus did, because if you you know go back and read scriptures, Jesus didn't go into the synagogue on a regular basis and just sit amongst them. Anytime he went, he wreaked havoc. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's not like he had... His first sermon ended with the people trying to throw him off a cliff, so... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, no one has thrown me, tried to throw me off a cliff, but I, you know, but I... Um, yet. Yet. <laughs> Some people have, well, anyway, that's a whole nother podcast, but, um, the holy, the holy disruption and God puts me in that protective Mm. bubble. Mm. I mean, it's still, I still have scars and bruises and, and bumps and stuff from when other people were rejecting the change that God was trying to bring into their hearts. Yeah. And it looked like it was just from me. 
And um, there's been enough of that in my own life to say, okay, God, you are here. You are with me. This is part of the trial we have to go through to get to the resolution. And the amazing folks of every church I have served went through some painful transitions because of what they knew, what was comfortable. And then God comes in, and I like the way um, Jules and Andy put it, is that Jesus is annoying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Downright annoying because you think you're going one way and it goes another. And um, Jesus shows up and turns tables. Jesus shows up and heals the people that others have shunned. Jesus shows up and hangs out with the not good enoughs and those in the margins. Yeah. And um, Josh, you were asking earlier about why, before we went on, um, my, am I drawn to or how am I able to connect with, I think you used the not white man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the, the marginalized, the people that, that society tries to silence or shush, you know, or their yeah. voices don't matter as much. Because, um, you know, I've, I've been walking into rooms where I've been unwelcome for so long yeah. that I know how it feels. Yeah. Um, and I don't like when other people feel that way. I yeah. want to share that reminder that you are seen, you are valid, um, you are supposed to be here, or maybe I'm having a day of I need to be reminded that I do have a purpose and value yeah. being here. Um, I, <laughs> I have a fabulous role model um, who I love dearly and am driven crazy by at the same time, and that's my mom. Who um, <laughs> shout out to Billy Reynolds, who in the '70s was the executive director of a trade association in um, Northern Virginia, is where we were living, and she was on Capitol Hill on a regular basis, interacting with congressmen and senators, going to mm. hearings and stuff. And she was the unnamed woman walking into a room of a bunch of men who were trying to spend more time and energy justifying why she shouldn't be there instead of listening to what she had to say. And my mom had this ability to just go in and do what needed to be done and not let that other stuff bother her. Um, in fact, I asked her about the, her, um, the Me Too movement and her Me Too stories, and she's like, what are you talking about? And I had to explain to her that what this was really coming, surfacing. And for ever since history... Um, there have been situations where predominantly women, but men too, have been treated um, horribly and, you know, everything from sexual harassment to sexual assault and rape and everything in between. And she said, well, there were a few guys that, you know, one guy tried to look down my my dress at the at the soda fountain. And I said, you do that again and I'll punch you. So he did the next day and I punched him. I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> and things like that. She's, she was born in 1929. She's almost 90 years old. So she comes wow. from a different era. So I had this role model of someone who went through a lot of shit, yeah. but she was in that protect and she always refers to her faith as getting her through. So while she drove me nuts, so okay, she sometimes still does, because I want to feel all the feels. I want to talk it out. I want to have that validation or whatever. She's shown me that it's not all about you mm. and that God has a purpose. And um, another amazing, amazing role model and mentor, Lois Fitch, who just passed away in July, she had that same um, presence about her and that everything has a way of working itself out. Um, let the universe handle the details. She was very, very strong in her faith. And she saw the good in people and gave them opportunity 
and my dad did that as well. So, you know, um, you know the term you've been Miyagi'd from the Karate Kid when Mr. Miyagi is teaching him yeah. wax on, wax off, yeah. the painting and all this stuff. We learn these skills. So go all the way back to Camp High Roads in Middleburg, Virginia, where I'm learning about community. I'm learning about being responsible for the environment around you. Always leave a place cleaner than you found it. Um, how to deal with adversity when you go on a camp out and you're looking at the stars and next thing you know it's raining. How to get along with people that you don't really like. Yeah. Um, and all those years in youth ministry, all those years um, in um, being a mom of two amazing kids. This is my absolute favorite job in the whole wide world. Um, going through life, um, the second or the last 13 years as um, a divorced single mom, um, God has always been present and said, well, let's, this is what it's going to look like now. Hmm. And you're not going to find a lot of like people, but every once in a while you will be the like person for someone else. Wow. Wow. That is such a great, a great summation of what ministry is so often. I find, I mean, a lot of what I do lately is just let people talk out their freakouts, you know, like talk out the freakout. I like that. Cause they just, yeah, I didn't plan that. They, you know, you get, you get so tense and overwhelmed and over, done and you're in your own head so much and and something about uh having having someone present with you to get it out yeah. um mm-hmm. somehow like i don't i don't have any wisdom but somehow like that that's helpful just that i'm there and it sounds like you just being called to be present is what people have needed um oh yeah for, because <laughs> people were that for me. Like I talked about the camp counselors. Right. Yeah. They were just present. They weren't doing anything special. They were just showing up. And that um, is the big part of ministry is just showing up. That's number one. And that's just a part of life. You don't have to be in ministry to um, just right, show right. up and be present. Um, my business card for Crossbridge Ats, um didn't say pastor. It had my name and my contact information. And it said... Um, practitioner of deep listening and facilitator of out-of-the-box ideas. Mm, nice. Because I really, I mean, Jesus <laughs> didn't walk around going, Rabbi Jesus. People knew he was rabbi, but he also didn't have office hours like, David, if you'd like to see me, come in at 11. And um, oh, and then, oh, Josh, you know what? Oh, I, I, I'm meeting Josh at noon, so I only have this amount of time with you. Yeah, right. Modeling <laughs> how Jesus did it versus our um, human created artificial constructs of um, how to use time, how yeah. to schedule time, how to organize things. God comes in and messes that up on a regular basis. Yeah. And being present with that. Um, David, I love your talk out the freak out piece. There's the the question to ask someone when they're in that state of, are you having a bad day? Or do you have a bad five minutes and you can't get over it? And mm. sometimes that's enough to stop their head oh, that's from spinning to go, you know what? Someone flipped me off in traffic and I didn't do anything and I spilt coffee on me and they just needed a safe place to vent about mm-hmm. that. And a lot of times putting myself in that situation just to hear it, not to own it. I don't have to take it on. I don't have to borrow anybody else's troubles. Yeah, got plenty yeah. of my own. And yeah. that there's a Teflon that God puts on us without hardening our hearts in ministry to mm. where we can hear and not um, not judge, and be just be present. Yeah, 
Um, I, I'll, I'll have something to say and then, and then, uh, one question that I'd like to hear from you, but, um, going way back, you were, you were talking about how Crossbridge had started and how every single bar and restaurant mm-hmm. and, and place, coffee shop was on board with you meeting there and you made clear we're not a traditional church, but we're a church. Mm-hmm. Um, this, like, I wasn't even going to say this, but I've been thinking about it for the last half hour. Uh, I've heard a number of times people saying cultures against the church and people are against the church and no one wants anything to do with the church. The, I mean, that's bull. Like <laughs> they, there's, there's not really antagonism there. And I think, I think we see that with your story. Like people are okay with partnership and it's not like there was nothing aggressive against you. And so I, um, I, th- I think there's, even even for people who don't want to call it a culture war mentality, I think there are people who have that, and I don't think that it's as, um, I mean, there, you know, culture war stuff may be there, but, but it's not as terrifying as some people make it. Yeah, yeah, and we, like, we talked about with Duncan, you know, somebody, uh, somebody who moved to Portland mm-hmm. from another, you know, state, um, and definitely across the country, Portland and Oregon is like, oh, they're the most unchurched area. You know, mm-hmm. so they're, We're the none and done zone. He mm-hmm. called yeah. it a pagan haven, I think. Yeah, and so oh, there, yeah. there is this thought that, you know, it's everything's very antagonistic, and and it's not, and that's what people are, I think, so surprised. It's like people aren't flocking to the church, but there's not as much, like, anti church i guess you know as uh as people necessarily i, I think assume. i a, think there are christians that want there to be something so that they can legitimately like be mad yeah sure well there's perspective and perception and perspective is how you view it and both of you are at least a head taller than i so if we stood and looked at the same thing we would definitely be seeing things straight ahead of us right and our perception is what informs us and and tells us that's what you're seeing you know like oh that's this color that's this person's behavior is acceptable that one isn't so perspective and perception that's how what we have to own Mm -hmm. and for people who grew up in the church you there's this understanding this assumption of being a good churchgoer means that you show up on a regular basis you tithe you sing these songs you stand here you don't rock the boat you don't stand up like Simon Birch did in the movie Simon Birch and question what does having to go to eat cookies and drink coffee have to do with learning about God during fellowship time? I mean, you know, there's those rebels that are among us yeah. and they have been silenced so much in the church. And those who have been silenced be are now parents and haven't taken their kids because they had a bad experience. So what when we talk about this culture war, it's we've seen a couple generations of faithful churchgoers and then people who felt rejected from the church, who actually may have been rejected by a specific church, yeah. right? And telling their kids, I don't want you to go through that pain. Yeah, yeah. And then there's this, well, if God's only in the church, then God's rejecting you and God's going to reject me. So it's not safe to know God. And when, you know, Josh Duncan got here a couple years before me, um, Andy Goble got here a couple years before me, when I got on the ground, 
when I moved up here right before um, Christmas of 2012, there were 12 church planters on the ground in yeah. North Portland yeah. alone. Yeah. Because this was called, you know, this is the heathen territory, and there are all these people from other states being sent. And I was just sent 20 miles north, right? Because we had an established Wesleyan presence with the Methodist Church. Um, and, um, they're, they're sent here thinking that there's no one in Portland that's sharing the gospel. There's no one in Portland sharing the good news. Right. We need to go in and do it. And I come to find out there's that plenty. I've been here for 35 years. And yeah, Josh <laughs> has been here all along. And you know what, dad, though? You know what, though? What's that? There are people at my church. I heard this two weeks ago that um, our church is dying here. And there's only like 12 churches in North Portland now. And I was like, are... Are, are you kidding? Like, <laughs> I could name 12 without thinking. <laughs> there's, right. There's, there's, I mean, pushing, you know, between 50 and 100, I'd say. They're pushing 100, I'd, I guess. When like, you look at someone's... Little and big, it's, there's, there's less big church buildings, but that, I mean, that's just untrue well and that's where the 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 metrics and definition yeah the optics of a successful church yeah. to a lot of people is the physical church building with no roof window um heater issues um there's more people in the pews than not on a regular basis and they're singing the good old faithful hymns and so on and so forth and the reality is that definition of church actually existed for a season, but we're in a different season, and we've got folks that are trying really, really hard to pull them back in. Excuse me. And one of the things I say when I go into these um, older traditional established churches who, like, well, we just need young people. Yeah. Well, what do you need, what do you need them for? Well, we need them to come and, and be part of our church. Well, what does that mean? Well, they come in and, and, and they, they're do, they come in and be part of church with us. Then if you, if you take down the layers and you actually break it down, what they're wanting is the younger generations to come and do church like they've done and do, and to support with their money and their presence, their time, talent, treasure. Right. But the gap is they haven't been trained the same way or they have chosen to go elsewhere to get their needs met yeah. elsewhere. Because I will tell you, I tried leaving the church a lot because I was like, what's here for me? I'll ask questions and I get told, well, we'll answer that when you get older. Oh, there'll be something for that when you get older. And I'm like, I need it now. I need this now. So this persistence of there's always been faith in my life, not always church, but, um, and people was like, oh, you're so religious. It's like, no, I'm not. I'm a person of faith. I'm not yeah. religious. I'm a person of faith, and there's a difference. And I'd love to have a conversation and listen to your understanding of religion and faith. And yeah. that's part of the practitioner of deep listening. It's just, I don't, I'm not going to change your opinion. I just want to hear your story. And that's one of the th- reasons that in our local churches, there isn't a lot of a brave, it's not really a brave space to talk, mm-hmm. because that has been taken away. I'm going to be judged and criticized because I think differently than you, or I've been chased off for thinking that, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And, um, you know, David, when you say, you know, you, were told, you weren't told no by any of these business owners, I'm wondering how many of them are like, yeah, we'll see how long they last. Um, yeah, because that's, that's of, the, of the church planners that were on the ground when I got here, I think four might still be here with some sort of presence, maybe four or five. 
Others have come and gone as well. I've I've met a lot that are gone when I came, and that was in 2015. So right. that was even years later. Right. Um, yeah. they, you know, and this like starting a small business, you know, 80% of all restaurants fail, and that's like mm-hmm. similar percentage for church plants. But there's a thing that where, where you realize that God comes into people's lives for a reason, season, a lifetime. And if you think that certain churches last a lifetime, none of the original 11 churches that were started by the disciples still exist. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> seeds were planted. <laughs> seeds were planted. Right. Crossbridge at has been... Um, uh, been retired for a year now, and but we still see the fruits of that yeah, labor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, one uh, thought that I have, real quick. Yeah. Um, I've heard this term, you know, for atheists. Many atheists, in my experience, has been, you know, most atheists I've talked to are actually more wounded theists. Yes. So, like, it's it's because of something that happened, you know, in our life where we're super angry at God, or I can't believe in a God who mm-hmm. does this or does that. And we see that, you know, in the church a ton. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I was wounded by the church, and so I don't want anything to do with the church. Again, like, faith is really important for so many people, and we don't give people enough credit, I think, mm-hmm. for that. Um, and, and so creating opportunities like Crossbridge at, or really just being real and open, like mm-hmm. um, being like Jesus and allowing the woman to, you know, per- pour out the perfume, you know, or allowing the kids to come up or the blind mm-hmm. beggar. Just like, what is it that you really need? Mm-hmm. What do you need to be like? You, you just need to be heard. And what is it that you really want to say? Um I think, I think people are really starving for that. And so allowing opportunities for that, I, I think, is a great call for, for all of us, and not just in the church, but definitely out of the church, too, uh, mm-hmm. being able to hear. Well, ministry is a contact sport, and if you just stay in your office and have contact with the people who come in yeah. and out of the church, yeah. you're really limiting your scope of ministry, mm-hmm. and you you get used to doing what the longtime churchgoers are expecting the pastor to do within their understanding of it. And they, it's really easy to forget a time in their life when the church received them, when they had that, I don't want to be here, but someone said, we want you to be here or the, the, you know, institutional memory just gets really fuzzy over time and they forget about historical traumas and so forth. Um, and they also forget about historical successes and they tend to travel the middle, the middle of the road. And when I was, um, up here on the ground, I had to turn a report every month of how many people I met and follow up conversations and where were some of the places we met, things like that. And I would always say, okay, I met this many adults, this many children. Um, I frequented these places as well. And one of my favorite things was writing in there, two different months in a row, I met this many people, I met this parrot, and we were in the plaza of (laughs) St. John's, and my supervisor at the time goes, what? I said, yeah, I met Henry, the parrot, one one month, and then next month I met Oscar, the parrot. Well, did you talk to their owner? No, the owner didn't want to talk, but the parrots did. (laughs) And... They're like, we don't have a box for that in our forms. How do you mark that in <laughs> in other? And um, and I'll say one of it, one of the hardest times in ministry was up here, and it was because not because the the non churchgoers didn't want faith and Jesus present. It was that the traditionalists yeah, didn't, didn't know, know what to do with it. 
right? Yeah. And I can't fault them for that. I can just say, God, please continue to open their hearts and their minds because yeah. there's so much more to what they're used to in their container. Um, and I I like to hang out with people in the margins because I that's where I live. Mm-hmm. I have my whole life been able... I've struggled with... Um, I might fit in somewhere, but feeling like I belong, like I've never really felt like I belong anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's why I can identify when people are like, what am I doing here? I'm not supposed to be here. I look different. I sound different. Um, my ideology is different. My sexual orientation is different. But just to see them as God would see them. Yeah. How would Jesus approach the situation? Um, and I had the honor of, um, you know, we pastors take turns doing funerals here in the community. Um through the local funeral home. But I got called from someone in the community that said, yeah, I came to your dinner church a couple times, um, and there's been the loss in the community of um, one of our homeless gentlemen. Mm-hmm. And one of his friends is looking for a pastor who will do the service, and I know your church is in the community, like not in a building. And I had the honor of doing a funeral for Bruce McCady, um, who passed away very tragically, and we held it in the public plaza. You guys were both there mm-hmm. and several other of our colleagues. And that, to me, was one of the ultimate displays of church, is showing up for someone who had a really horrible reputation in town. He was not always a good person. Yeah. Yet we had over 80 people show up, mm-hmm. including a strong homeless population, and they felt, thank you for giving this guy value and worth. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus does. And I would rather spend time doing that than filling out paperwork and trying to find a box for I talked with a parrot um, and it's trying to <laughs> trying to ju- trying to justify to the judicatory who I know in their heart of hearts understand that true ministry sure. is talking to all yes. the different people. Yet we've gotten into a place in our culture where we've defined church with a box. And um, I get to continue to be the woman who walks in um, sometimes into the boxes and uh, with the jar of nard. Right, right. And uh, the, the, the people who should get it don't, and they get mad. I mean, if you, look at that, if you look at that story, that is Jesus in Jerusalem. That is just before crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, by then, by that point, they should understand what's happening here. They should understand the lady like preparing Jesus for burial with her perfume. They should understand like the the depth of what's happening and they miss it. And so often our our church people or us as pastors, you know, at uh, a lot of times I would say uh Miss what God's doing because we're too busy shooting ourselves. Because we're too busy shooting ourselves. S H O U L D. We're so too busy shooting ourselves, and we get in our <laughs> own way, and and we get stuck in these bad five minutes, and we you know go through the rest of our day pissed at the world because of something, and God is still standing present, going, "Are you done yet?" Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, yeah. Do you need to talk out your freak out? Call David and. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Um, one last question I had. Uh, you you mentioned how often you will uh, you will walk with people or be present with people who mm-hmm. who maybe had 
a rough day or a rough week or a rough month, or maybe just had a bad five minutes to ruin their day. Mm-hmm. Um, we we talked with DL a few episodes mm-hmm. ago, and she Fabulous mentioned episode. right, yeah, mm-hmm. it was it was amazing. Um, and she talked about and and she talks in her book about like the ministry of being a good neighbor mm-hmm. and um and just trying to uh, do good. Uh, you know, and, and be Jesus to those around you. This seems like the kind of thing that people could do who aren't professional pastors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what what kinds of things do you see that the that um, people of faith could be doing to uh, bring Jesus to their community or to their neighbors? Get out of their own way. And when they go to their favorite hangout, their coffee shop or whatever, if they're sitting in public, know that you're in public. It's not a private, isolated experience. Um, be willing to offer a cup of coffee in conversation to someone, to listen without judgment. Um, we learn so much more when we hear someone else's opinion and we give them that space to share it. Mm-hmm. And it's not to convince each other to think differently. It's to fortify what we know, to expand our understanding. Um, we're in a day and age where more people are more vocal about significant issues, affordable housing, house, houselessness, homelessness, um, the immigration issues, yeah. um, Sex, human sexuality and how it, the role it plays in yeah. our identity and our how we move through the world. Um, people being open to those conversations is excellent. Yeah. And the challenge we've also found, and I said this in 1995 when the internet really started to become more prevalent, <laughs> is that our kids are exposed to more information from more sources than ever. Yeah. but they're not being taught how to deal with it. And the velocity at which social media and cyber life has um, infiltrated mm-hmm. and infested yeah. our culture is unbelievable. And part of our job is to show up and remind us that we are humans yeah. and that you matter. And that right there, David, anybody, whether you're a person of faith, you're, if you're a human being, yep, yep. show that someone else is seen and and. And that uh, they're valued. Uh, yeah, those those issues that you were talking about earlier, those are people issues. Those aren't, you know, policy issues. Those all affect housing, you know, um, all of those things. It's people. And yes. Relationships are the most important thing. And we've allowed them to become secondary, tertiary, conditional. Yeah. And you know what? If you look at all the issues, everything that we're experiencing... Someone in the Bible has experienced and had a wrestling match with God, and there was some sort of um, either solution or opportunity present. No, they didn't have computers, but they had temptations. They had opportunities. They did have drugs. They had alcohol. They had debauchery. They had all the things that we face now. They had loneliness, homelessness. Jesus was a homeless immigrant, and I know that, that some people forget that, and then you you know you read in Matthew and in fact I don't know if you guys caught that yesterday in that um, that uh, uh, event that Jeff Sessions was at when a pastor stood up oh, and yeah. 
um, started um, um, reciting Matthew 25. Is that when I, you know, you feed the hungry, you clothe the naked, you visit in prison, all these things. That is Reverend Will Green, United Methodist pastor from Andover, Maryland. And um, I've seen him at several different events. He's one of our most outspoken social justice activists. And I was, I was intrigued by the fact that he had the confidence to stand up mm-hmm. to... Jeff Sessions, who also is a United Methodist, and um, it shows how broad and wide our pew is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really wide, and it's actually deep, And there's, but there's room for everybody because God says each and every one of you are important. Yeah. Each and every one of you I love and are valuable. And then to hear, and I don't know the whole... Um, makeup of the people in that room, but my understanding, it was a faith-based gathering, and then another pastor got up and said, I'm a Baptist pastor, this this pastor is right, and why why is he being kicked out, why are we being kicked out for speaking the gospel, and other people are booing them and tell them to go away, that has been happening since time, yeah. when two or more people get together, yeah, you're going yeah. to disagree, and we forget that we aren't, every, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing to notice some, but relationships are the most important thing, and we have not done the best job we could do to honor that and value one another. Mm. Mm. Oh, so good. So good. It's, um, first of all, I, I wish people would have listened to you a little bit more in 1995 because um, here's, I was 11, and here's <laughs> what I, uh, here's what I remember, and I remember this very distinctly, this happened all the way through my time in high school, um, junior high, high school. The internet was uh, dangerous because of all the porn. <laughs> and that was it. Like, that that was the reason. That's all it is. That was, and, and uh, looking back now, I'm like, oh, but the, like, n- not that I think, you know, social media is the devil or anything, but... Uh, communication is wildly different now. Mm -hmm. And so like some forward thinking may have been smart at the time. Just the filters, (laughs) the, you know what, you're going to learn about all these things. Eventually the velocity at which it has been thrust into Mm. people's lives in their living rooms, in their own bedrooms. I mean, you just, it's just right there in your hand. Um, when I was in sixth grade, you had to get a parent's note and hand it to the librarian to check out the Judy Bloom book, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, because it's a coming-of-age story. And in the story, she um, goes through puberty and she gets her period. And that was salacious enough and, and serious enough that um, the public schools didn't think that that should just be on the shelf and any um, fifth or sixth grader should just stumble upon it. And read it, but you had to be in sixth grade and had to have a note from your parent. And if I wanted to go to the public library for anything, I had to get permission from mom. I had to make plans to go there. Mm. And um, there were these boundaries. And you had to, um, I heard this on NPR several years back, is that we used to have to go to our parents to get the keys to knowledge and access um, those mm. places of learning and those opportunities. Now there's no going through the parents 
to access it because we're freely given the devices and the whole world is available right there mm. in your hand, which is a mixed blessing. Yep, yep. Is a mixed blessing. And, um, but we're not being taught how to deal with it. And right. we, in how many kids, I mean, my kids are 16 and 22. And I've been very um, diligent about limited screen time and face-to-face time and no no devices at the table um, and things like that. But I don't know. You guys have younger kids, and devices are so much more prevalent. Um, and I don't know how much control you have when the rest of their friends are doing all this other stuff. But um, the intention about the human relationship has always been a priority. You go back to Jesus. Jesus saw the person whether it was Bartimaeus, whether it was the the woman that hemorrhaged for 12 years who just said, I just want to touch his cloak. And Jesus felt that go out of him. It's like, who touched me? And they're like, Jesus, you're like in a crowd. It's like a mosh pit. What do you mean who touched you? He goes, no, there was something different. And this woman had enough courage to go forth and said, I just need a little Jesus. I just need a little Jesus. And um, if you ever take communion, and I'm one of the officiants for it, and I'm holding the bread, you'll hear me say, take all the Jesus you can, because this is the body of Christ broken for you. Get all the Jesus you can, because you are worth it. You are worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So great. Well, uh, I mean, I don't know how long we've been going, but we're probably near the end of our time right now. Um, (laughs) But, wait, I mean, I... You know, we we have so much more we could talk about with you. Um, but where can people find you or your church online? WestPortlandUMC.com. We just um, launched a new website. We're also on Facebook at West Portland UMC. We do um, our Sunday morning worship at 930. We go Facebook Live on our website. I mean, on our um, Facebook page. And then by noon, it's on my personal page and a couple other people from the church, um, which is really cool. Because um, we usually have about 200 people that um, log into at least part of it throughout the week. But for some reason, this past Sunday, we had over 200 by 7 o'clock Sunday night. Whoa. Which, um, you know, maybe a future topic for a podcast is um, that people want the message without all the packaging. Yeah. And what do we do about that? Because that's really ministry in the present and the future, navigating the future and creating the opportunity there. Um, But yeah, um, West Portland UMC is where I'm at in Southwest Portland. And um, I am just really excited to be there and doing these Mm -hmm. things. They've really, um, I did a series on being root bound and literally was transplanting root bound plants during my sermon one Sunday And I am excited and thrilled to say that um, the Holy Spirit's been moving in that Mm. that faithful community, and they're branching out. Their roots are becoming loosened, and they're looking into some really cool things that they can do with the resources that God has blessed them with. And um, since relationships are the most important thing, it's reminding them that relationship with God is the most important, and our relationship with God is directly reflected on how we relate with others and vice versa. And... um, that's what I'm called to do, guys, is to show up and uh, let that be reflected. Yeah. Well, Christy, thank you. Thank you so much for not being a box. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I know I think sometimes you probably have wrestling matches with God and says, like, I just want to be normal, you know, or I just want a normal job. And 
Um, Normal's a setting on the dishwasher. Yeah, and and you have not, you know, for one reason or another, or a lot of different reasons, you know, like you have you have bloomed into a very u- unique, gifted individual who I admire, I respect a ton. Um, so thank you for thinking outside the box, for not um, letting the box confine you, and then for bringing Jesus to, you know, to the parrot um, <laughs> and and to any other, you know, opportunities that don't fit in the box. And so, um, yeah, thank you for that, and thank you for being on and yeah. sharing your heart. Thank you, gentlemen. Right. Right. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much. Uh, And for the Unsuccess Podcast, I am David. And I am Josh. And we will see you next time.